right. There we go. Hey, good morning. Hey, that's a good response. Thank you, Bridge. Good to be with you. Good to see you this morning. Welcome if this is your first time. We're thrilled to have you here. We want to encourage you and recruit you to recruit other people to join us. Today M's here at the bridge as well. We'd love to have you and your neighbors and friends and their children and all that sort of thing. But uh, welcome to the Forest Lake Church. There's a service at 845 and a service at 1130 as well. So invite your friends there to gather with us as well. A couple of things real quick before we dive in. You're getting, a, you're getting sermon notes um, right now. So if you want to follow along and um, feel free to use that uh, or just draw doodles on it. That's cool too. Uh, as you listen, you know. Uh, engage, and, and we'll judge artwork at the end of the service. I'm joking. Hello. Are you out there? <laughs> they just went to sleep. All right, so follow along using those notes or take it home. Use it for maybe some worship time, personal worship time this week while you're, um, while you're doing your personal time. So the, uh, the other thing is uh, mark this on your calendar and make a mental note, and you'll see some artwork about it soon. Uh, June 15 through 18. June 15 to 18. Um, we have a, a special time, we call it Occupy, and it's basically a young adult and even a, more of an intergenerational gathering over about three days, um, and we just kind of focus on worship, there's messages, and uh, our guest last year was Pastor Sam Lenore, he's from La Sierra University, and he's coming back again, he'll be here uh, with us for the June 15 through 18 gathering. So just throwing that out there, you'll see artwork on it here in the next couple of weeks, but it's a great, great time, awesome, awesome time, so I encourage you to be a part of that as well. Um, then the other thing is, we have a, we have a young adult who is, who is actually online right now. And uh, it's Gable Patterson. And so for our online viewers, if you're watching us online, he's the dude who's in the chat. So that's what he's, that's what he's up to. Um, I, I don't know if he's going to come out and wave or not, but that's okay. Uh, but that's who G- Gable's, a young adult, and uh, he's, he's who you're engaging with online right now. So I thought that was kind of cool. Thank you, Gable, for being on the chat this morning. All right, so everybody good? You good? Say amen or something. People, come on. All right, so here's the deal. We started a series last week uh, on idolatry. Uh, we call it Crush. And it's a, it's a little bit of a, you know, a, the subject matter itself is just awkward altogether because we're not, um, you know, it's not something we talk about. It's not something, it's not language even that we use. No one goes around talking about idolatry. And the visions or the perceptions that we have about, about idols and idolatry is sort of like, you know, uh, who's bowing down at some carved out sort of stone image or something, you know? And yet, if we were honest, we would, we, we would have to be able, we'd have to admit that the reality is our culture today is sort of, is full of idols, right? Um, there's lots of worship going on. It's not necessarily of the one true God of the Bible that we as Christians believe in, place our faith in, and worship. And so the, the, the idea behind this series is that um, we want to get rid of, uh, we want to crush, if you will, idols that have sort of crept into our lives. And we don't go out sort of looking for these idols, right? It just kind of, it just, over time, I think we, are, we give our affections over to certain things. And slowly but surely, we begin to sort of latch on to these things. And they become the thing that we turn to, they sort of replace or they crowd out the true God. And before we know it, we're worshiping something that we were never intended to worship. It very well may be a good thing, 
It may not be a totally terrible thing, but it comes the ultimate thing. It becomes sort of God for us. So that's kind of, if you weren't here last week, that's, that's kind of where we're going. Uh, we're, we're talking about making room for God by crushing the idols that often crowd into our lives. Uh, it may happen over a period of time. It may just it sort of kind of come out of the blue and lo and behold, I find myself giving my heart and my affections, my time, my energy, my money over to all kinds of things. So that's where we're at this morning. You guys pray with me one more time and we'll, time and we'll dive right in, all right? Lord Jesus, it is good to be in this place this morning. It's good to gather with your people. Thank you for the blessings of worship. Thank you for the privilege that we have to gather with you, the one true God. And Father, if indeed we find ourselves in, in an awkward position of having crowded you out of our lives because we've given ourselves to something else, unintentionally, God, we didn't mean to get there, may you disrupt our lives during this, these next couple of Sabbaths. May you, may you shake us out of our slumber so that we become aware of the things, the things that are occupying our time and occupying our hearts. May we make room for you, God, for we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, so um, last week we, we talked a bit about this idea that the Bible, if you were to pick it up and simply begin to read it, if you started in Genesis and you read in particular the first half of your Bible, your Old Testament, you would step into this beautiful drama, this story, if you will, about a God, a creator God who creates a people. And as, um, as it would be for this God, he longed to be with his people. He longed to have their fullest attention and live in intimacy and connection with them. But as it would turn out, sin would enter the picture and disrupt that, that vision that God had to be with his people, Right? And ever since that moment, um, he's been vying for our attention. He's, trying to, he be, he's been trying to woo us back into relationship with himself. And so you have the story, this beautiful drama that plays itself out, wherein, uh, whereby this God, this, this God of love who pursues us, is constantly trying to reconnect and to bring us back to himself, to reconcile, if you will. But the people are the problem. We are the problem. If you read, you know, the Old Testament, you see these constant times where, um, where God calls them the faithfulness to himself. And he says, look, I am your God. I am your creator. Worship me. Love me. Be faithful to just me. And it's this constant struggle. And, and you and I, uh, if we identify with the people of the Old Testament, you and I are, are unfaithful. And the people there are unfaithful. And they'll, they'll stray off and begin to worship other gods. And um, it's this story of just how God himself longs for us to be faithful to him. And yet there are these other gods that, that God has to compete with. And so the idea behind this, um, the idea behind this series, again, is that we begin to return to this God and forsake all the other gods. And you remember that we talked about the Shema, uh, Deuteronomy chapter 6. In fact, I'm going I'm to read that to you, just the, first, uh, just the fourth verse. Uh, Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse 4, where we talked about this, this creed that faithful Jews uh, were, were invited to recite 
um, as, a, as a proclamation of their faithfulness to God and uh, sort of as, a, as a, uh, a statement of faith. And it goes like this. It says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You can't help. You can't help but hear God's voice underneath those words saying, not only am I one, meaning I'm not multiple gods, I'm just one. You, you've turned your affections towards many gods. I am just one God. But you can also hear underneath those words just God's heart, if you will. People, just make me your one. I am one God, but I want to be your one. I want to be your one and only. And he's saying, hear and, and I want you just to re, re, you know, repeat these words. That's what faithful Jews did. They, they would get up in the morning. It'd be the first words off their lips. And it'd be the last thing at night. They recite these words. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. And the question becomes, will we make him our one and only? And that's his, that's his invitation. And remember the takeaway last week was this idea. We want, to re- we, we want to remove these idols, right? We want to crush idols. We want to remove them. But the, there's another part to it. It's not just about removing idols as much as it is about replacing them with the one true God. So if we grit our teeth and we work really hard and we, we get rid of all the idols, but we never allow God to take his place on the throne of our hearts, then we haven't really gotten anywhere. The goal is God becomes the one who received the one and only who receives all of our affections. It doesn't make any sense that we would share, that we would share our affections with anyone else. So dudes, dudes, if you've done your Valentine shopping, I hope you have. If you haven't, you're in trouble. <laughs> but if you have, you only shop for one girl, right? I hope so. See, when I went to the store, I wasn't looking for multiple women. I was looking for my wife. See, that's how this deal works. Our affections are intended for one, the one true God. And yet, what we see, what we see is this struggle for God to capture our attention and to reclaim our hearts so that we give him our fullest affections, and our fullest attentions. All right, so today. Today the idea is that you and I will become aware. Aware. Um, I was watching a message just this week. It's a message on leadership. And uh, it's by a guy by the name of Bill Hybels. He's a leadership guru. He's a pastor, uh, an expert on leadership. And some of this may sound familiar to you, especially if you read a lot of leadership books and you, you operate in a culture and in a world, maybe in the corporate world, that talks a lot about leadership and so forth. But Bill Hybels had, uh, he, he identified the three uh, characteristics of, of high-performing leaders, all right? And uh, this is what came out. Um, he said uh, these three things, that self-awareness, or just awareness, if you will, learning agility and emotional intelligence, right? Those are the three things that high-achieving, top-notch leaders do, or that's who they are, that's who they become. Now, I was thinking about this. One of the things I said a couple of weeks ago is that you and I, um, we, we are the hardest people we will ever lead. In other words, you, and, and for me, I am the hardest person that I will ever lead. And part of the challenge with smashing and, and getting and crushing our idols 
is you and I have to lead ourselves better, right? We have to lead our lives a whole lot better than we often do. And that takes some leadership on our part. But it also takes that first one. Not going to deal with the last two, but that first one, this idea of awareness. So this is where we're going this morning. I want us to have a sense of, a greater sense of awareness of where our affections are going. What are the idols that have crept into our lives that are crowding out the worship of the one true God? Because if we're unaware, if we don't know, then there's no way for us to address those issues. And so this, you know, this, this, this is actually absolutely critical to coming back to the place where we give our affections and our love to the one true God, awareness. Good leaders are aware. They're self-aware. And for all of us believers, there's, that's the same struggle we have. How well do we lead our lives? How well do we lead our lives when no one is around and nobody is looking, Right? I have that closet God that when nobody's around and nobody's looking, I can't help myself. And I turn to that God rather than the one true God. How do I lead? How do I lead me? And part of it means I have to become aware. All right, so there's a story in the Bible about a guy by the name of King Josiah. Talked about him a little bit last week. Josiah, um, if, you, if you have a Bible, you can look in 2 Kings uh, chapter 22. And it's the story of this, of this young king. He actually becomes king at, at the age of eight. At the age of eight. And um, around the age of 26, there was a sort of a, there was an awareness that, that, he, that he began to have about his kingdom and about his life and about his heritage. His grandfather was a king by the name of Manasseh. And Manasseh was a guy who did not worship the one true God. In fact, he gave in to worship of many, many, many gods. And as the king goes, as the leader of the kingdom goes, so do the people go. And the king after him was, uh, was uh, Josiah's father, Ammon. And Ammon did, didn't do any better. So it goes Manasseh, Ammon, and then Josiah. And Ammon doesn't do any better, so things just get worse. So here comes little Josiah at age eight. And he's inheriting a spiritual mess. It's a catastrophe. It's, it's, it's just a total and utter mess. But there's something about this guy. And he's disturbed by what he sees and what he experienced, what's he's, what he's experiencing. And even at an early age, you get the sense that there was something that he knew wasn't quite right. So around the age of 26, he's a young adult. He's a young adult. Around the age of 26... He has this holy discontent. He realizes that something isn't quite right. Now hang on to that for just a second, man. Part of what we're doing with this series is hoping and praying that God will sort of churn up something in our own souls. That, that, that at some level we will have a discontentedness with our spiritual life and become aware of and begin to realize that, man, I've slipped in this area. And I didn't mean to. There's no intention here. It's just sort of the way things are happening for me right now. And there's this little God or there's these multiple gods that have, that have slowly taken the place of the one true God in my own life. And I'm praying, don't take the, the, don't take the disruption in the soul as a bad thing. Take it as a good thing. Because we get comfortable with our gods. And that's the sort of kingdom that Josiah inherited. 
All these little gods and all these worship of multiple kind of gods had just sort of become the way of life for the people. And everything was okay. And there's this, there's this, um, there's this really awful concept or, or uh, understanding of, of, of idolatry that's called syncretism. Syncretism, kind of a big word. But it's the idea that you, you meld many worships together. So you take true worship of the one true God, and then you throw in some other stuff too. Worship of false gods. So that's what's happening here as, as, as Josiah has inherited this kingdom. Not only are they worshiping many, many gods, but they've mixed the worship of the one true God, the God who rescued them from Egypt. And they've begun to sort of mix it in with all these other gods. That's the, that's the mess that Josiah has inherited. But he's not satisfied. He realizes that something isn't quite right. And what I'm praying and what I'm hoping is that you and I, as we go through this, we realize something isn't quite right with me. And God's going to take us someplace and challenge us with regard to some of the idols in our lives. But notice his reaction. Notice his reaction as he becomes aware of just how, how far away from God his kingdom is. And it just messes him up. All right, so uh, 2 Kings chapter 22, listen to this. Then uh, Shaphan, the secretary, informed the king, Hilkiah. Hilkiah the priest has given me a book. And Shaphan read from it in the presence of the king. When the king heard the words of the book of the law, he tore his robes. So basically what's happened is Josiah has gone back to the temple. There's still a temple. It's just not the type of temple that that is supposed to be there. It's all messed up. And so he goes, we're going to restore this temple. He already had a sense. We got to make, we got to do something different. Things aren't right. So he's already going to restore the temple. In the process of restoring the temple, they come across the book of the law. Now the book of the law is the first five books of your Old Testament. It's called the Pentateuch. The Pentateuch. So Genesis, Exodus, uh, Genesis, Exodus Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, that's the book of the law. Did you catch that, that one book that's in there, Deuteronomy? And in Deuteronomy, we find, in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4, what do we find there? That old, that old um, statement of faith that says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. So could it be? Could it be that as, 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 as um, uh, Josiah experiences this, this real discontent with where his kingdom is. And as he goes in and begins to restore things to the way they should be, they, they uncover, I think it's God's work and I think it's God's providence, they uncover this book of the law that takes them back to exactly where, where God wants them to begin to think about who he is and what he's about. Is to hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. And notice his reaction. Notice his reaction. He is a mess. Because he's becoming aware of just how far from God his kingdom is. And it messes him up royally. And, he, and you get the sense here, and, and is, if you read more of the story, he had, his, he had his secretary, he had his people read it over and over and over to him. And it just, it just messes him up, just destroys him, destroys his heart. And he begins to tear his clothes, is what it says, which is a sign of deep grief and deep mourning. He's just grieving how far out of line his kingdom is. 
how, from, how far from the worship of the one true God that they have gone. Now here's the thing. What happens to us if God sort of disrupts our lives, he begins to make us aware of, he begins to sort of open our eyes and make us conscious to the reality of the fact that I've got some gods who've invaded my life and I've gotten comfortable with them and I'm, I'm kind of okay with them. What happens if God sort of begins to, to churn the soil? Here's, here's a... Here's a Here's a visual for you. When I was a kid, I'd go, I'd go fishing. Loved to go fishing. And, um, but before I went, I'd always go in the backyard trying to find those big, those big worms, you know, big night crawler worms. Did you guys fish? Yeah, you fish. All right, you had to go find, hunt your own worms so you don't have to buy any, all right? So you go find some little damp place off in the corner of your yard and you knock over some leaves or you dig down a little bit and you would churn up these, these big night crawler worms, big juicy worms for the fish. I loved it, right? That's kind of what's going on with you and me. As God begins to sort of mess with us, as God begins to reveal himself to us, he may dig down and he may churn up some ugly parts of our lives and it'll reveal these big worms that have moved into our souls. And the question becomes, will it devastate us? Will I become so messed up over the reality of the fact that God wants me to be here I, and I'm so out of line with where I should be? Will it mess us up? Will it grieve us enough that we will turn towards the one true God? So that's what's happening with Josiah. Josiah, Josiah becomes aware there's something else about this whole idea of idolatry. And, and this is sort of, it, it, before, I'm going I'm to get to where there's, there's enormous hope. Don't get, me, don't get me wrong. But there's a lot of darkness in this whole idea of idolatry. And we're going to get to the hope in just a minute. It, it isn't all dark. But we've got to kind of go to this place where, where we begin to understand the, the dark underbelly of idolatry. Here's, here's the idea. So, so Josiah uncovers the book of the law. The law helps us to understand who God is and what he values the most. It helps us to understand his character and who he is. That's why God gave us his law. It also helps us to understand what he values the most. It actually helps us to understand how to relate to, to God. But if we dismiss God's law, if the book of the law gets sort of pushed aside and thrown in the closet and we never look at it again, then what begins to happen, and this is where idolatry comes into play, you and I become our own law. If I disregard God, who he is and what he values, then I get to decide who I am, what I value, what I will do with my life. In essence, in essence, this is crazy, man, this is crazy. In essence, I become little g God. The darkest and the worst thing about idolatry isn't so much that I turn something else in, isn't so much that I worship something else as God, but in fact, I take the place of God. I become my own law and I begin to determine what's best for me. I begin to, in fact, I begin to create 
The one major characteristic of the God of the universe, the God of the Bible, is that he alone is able to create. He spoke it into existence. You and I don't have that characteristic, but we try to take it into our, we try to take it into our own hands when we make something else into God. We become creator, and in essence, we become God. That's the ugly side of this whole conversation. When I decide that I can do whatever I want to do, I can be whatever I want to be. I become a law to myself. That was never the idea. The idea is always that I understand who God is. He reveals himself to me. He, he shares with me his law, and it reveals his character and what he values. And I, I follow him. I allow him to lead me and to guide me. Here's the other thing about law. The other thing about law is that you must have a certain level of trust in the lawgiver. You must believe that the lawgiver not only can, um, not only, not only he is, is he um, a, a good lawgiver, but he's a lawgiver who has the resources and the power to keep his end of the bargain. Follow what I'm saying? So God comes along, he says, look, love me and only me, and I can take care of you. I can give you whatever you need. I can take care of everything. I have the power to do so. When you and I decide that we're a law unto ourselves, we decide that, hey, I really don't need you or your resources, God. I got this. I can do whatever I need to do. I have the power to do so for myself. Remember what Satan's problem was? He decided he wanted to be like the most high. The same challenge exists with us, although we would never come out and say it, and it's a little harsh even for us to hear it. But the minute I decide that I'm going to do whatever I want to do, and I'm going to make something into the thing that gives me satisfaction, the thing that, that gives orientation to my life, the thing that deeply satisfies me outside of the one true God, I take the place of God. I do my own thing. That's the most challenging thing about this whole idea of idolatry, is to take myself off of the throne and let the one true God occupy the throne. I surrender. I give everything to him. And he is God. After all, what we find after we've worshipped enough of the little gods long enough, we realize that God is better at being God than I am. Who's learned that lesson, baby? It's like I took, um, I took Christina. Christina and I did an anniversary trip out to Denver earlier uh, in the year. No, uh, last year in the fall. We went out to Denver and um, usually when, when I travel, I, I go to the rental car place and I reserve like the cheapest car. You know, you're lucky if it has air conditioning, all right? That's, that's the how I roll because I don't want to pay a lot of money for, for a rental car, especially if I have to pay for it. So, so I rent the cheapest thing from the cheapest place. You're not even sure if it's going to make it your entire trip, right? But on this trip, on this trip with my wife, and it was an anniversary trip, I kind of splurged a little bit. So I rented from this company that only rents Audi A4s. Yeah. Hello. So we're rolling in the Audi A4, all right? Silver Audi A4, brand spanking new. It's got, it's got internet in the car. <laughs> internet in the car. Who ever heard of that, you know? 
He's got internet in the car. He's got all the latest gadgets and, and whatever. All right, so we rolled in that the whole time. It was nice. Now, if I take my wife on another trip, what's she going to be thinking? <laughs> we're getting another Audi A4. No, we're not. <laughs> That's expensive, right? So here's the thing. The God of the universe rolls in the Audi A4. You and I roll in the cheap thing. He's much better at being God than you and I are. He's much better at being God than you and I are. And once you do life with God, once you do life in the, with God in the Audi A4, it's a whole different world when you're trying to come back down to the, to the little Toyota Camry. Some of y'all drive Camrys. No one, no, hope I didn't offend you, but that's okay. All I'm saying is, we take ourselves off of the throne. God begins to occupy the throne because he is king and he knows how to be king way better than you and me. He just does. And the question becomes, will I place my faith and trust in the one true God? Or will I, will I take him off of the throne and put myself in that place? Here's the... Here's the thing, and we got to wrap this up real quick here. Um, you and I, you and I, um, it, it's not all bad. It's not all bad. Here's, here's the idea behind the whole thing. Here's, here's the point. Here's the takeaway this week. It's not so much about how bad and how dark idolatry is and how dar- dark um, we are and how sinful and bad we are. It's actually the remedy for our idolatry problem is to focus on how good the one true God is. That's the key. I can, we, and we've done this in church. We can beat people up all the time about all the little idols in our lives. And I can spend a lot more time talking about it and getting a whole lot darker. I don't want to go there. What I want to do, what we have to do, is take the attention off of the idols and put it on the one true God. How good is he? How beautiful and how marvelous is the one true God. He's the one I want to occupy the place of of importance. He's the one I want to occupy the throne of my own heart. And the the more amazed I am and the more overwhelmed I am at how good this one true God is, There is no way I turn away from him and go to the other gods that beg for my attention. It's not just avoiding the idols. It's actually lifting up the one true God. He draws us in and our affections are on him. So um, here's here's, uh, Psalm 19.7. Psalm 19.7. Check this out. Psalm 19.7 says this. It says, The law of the Lord is perfect, refreshing the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The more we worship little gods, little idols, the more simple we become. The Bible actually calls us these dogs. You, ever, you remember that passage in the Bible? It says that um, as, a, you know, uh, as a dog returns to its vomit, so we return to our sin. Um, it's, uh, it's Proverbs twenty two eleven says, As a dog returns to its vomit, so fools repeat their folly. 
And then 2 Peter actually picks it up. 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 22 says this. Of them the Proverbs are true. A dog returns to its vomit, and a sow that is washed returns to her wallowing in the mud. In other words, when we are caught up in worshiping other things besides the one true God, and we keep going back to it, we're just a big old fool. It's so foolish of us. And we know it, even as we, as we bow down the next time to whatever that God is, we're, we're, thinking to us, we're thinking to ourselves, how on earth do I find myself back in the same old place again? But the Bible comes back to us in Psalms 19, 7, says, the law of the Lord is perfect. Josiah found the book of the law, which reveals God's character of love and grace and mercy and his core values, that he will, he will, he will uh, go to whatever degree he needs to go to, to rescue and to save us, that he values us, that he loves us, that he's merciful, that he's gracious towards you and me. He's a good God. It's not so much about how bad you are. It's about how good your God is. And he is really good. He is amazingly good. So Mark, I'm gonna have you come up and lead us in this last song. Uh, I want to end with Jeremiah 31.3. I mentioned this passage last week, but it just captures the beauty of how good God is. Jeremiah 31 and verse 3. It says, the Lord appeared to us in the past. Listen to this. The Lord appeared to us in the past saying, I have loved you with an everlasting love. I have drawn you with unfailing kindness. That's, that's who God is. That's who God is. And he will come to us and he will say, um, there's some stuff I want you to do. He reveals that in his law, right? We all know the law. He says, there's some stuff I want you to do. This is the way you relate to me and who I am. But never, ever forget this. Never forget who God is. Don't forget what he wants you to do, for sure. We're really good about following rules and we like the law. But don't forget who God is. As you become aware of your own stuff, as God, as God churns up your soul and all the little idols roll out, that's bad. But fixate on how good your God is. Don't even fixate on what he wants you to do. Don't go and just sort of read the list of instructions and rules. That's good. Check it out. Focus, yeah, give some focus to what God wants you to do. But remember who he is. He's a God of mercy and grace, enormous patience and kindness. And if you've been unfaithful, he still wants you. He still wants to be with you. I don't get it, doesn't make any sense. But he still wants to be with you. Don't forget who God is.